A couple of months ago, we launched in the summer, and uh, my family was incredibly excited. Our kids were excited. I was excited. Uh, so we all sat down as a family our, uh, with, with, with Haley and, and me and the kids, and we, we got together around the kitchen table, and we said, let's make a list of everything that we want to do. Anybody else do something like that to kick off summer season? So we, we sat down and we said, these are the things we want to go. These are the restaurants we want to eat at. These are the, the, the parks that we want to play in. Some of them were really, really easy. Go to the beach, watch a movie, play wiffle ball in the backyard. All things that are, are pretty easy to do. And some were more complicated. Visit the American Girl doll store in Chicago. <laughs> Fix the leak in the kitchen. Paint the outside of the house. Before we knew it, this past Wednesday came along and we were taking our kids to school and summer was over. Summer was over. We accomplished some of what was on our list, but we, we, didn't, we didn't get through it all. There's still plenty to do and there will always be plenty to do. And school starting doesn't mean that our, our list just goes into the thin air. It might sound funny, but when we kicked off our, our summer series here at Westminster on, on Sunday mornings through the book of James, I was equally excited. Anybody else open up a, a book of the Bible and they're like, yeah, just me, just me. I was, I was excited to open up James with you all this, to unpack the letter through the summer, partially because I have never preached through it. I have been a pastor for some time and I, I never preached through it. And I was, I was excited to open up James. But I was also, if I'm, I'm honest, just, just a wee bit nervous. There's a ton to cover in James. And if it's not handled delicately, it can come across as really harsh or tone deaf for today's world. With that in mind, I've tried to remind us that when James wrote his letter, he, he wrote it from this place where he was just really passionate about the people of God. He was really passionate about the church and what the church can and should be and what it means to follow Jesus, saying, hey, when you follow Jesus, it's not just about what you think. It's about living in a certain way so that your faith can be experienced by others through what you do, through your actions. So as we wrap up the series this morning, and as I pre- prepared for today, I, I, I kind of felt like I did this last Wednesday when we took our kids to school, and I realized, oh, the, the, we, we didn't finish everything from the family list. We didn't finish everything with James. We, we covered a lot, but we didn't hit on every single detail of the letter. And the good news, though, is, is so much of what James writes is, is echoed throughout the rest of Scripture as well. So we will come back to his principles throughout the, throughout the rest of the year. For James, again, following Jesus is about tangible ways of living out our faith. So we can share joy even in times of trial because of our faith. We, we share gifts, we share our gifts and our, our resources with other people because of our, this is participatory, because of our faith. We make plans both for the short term and the long term in a certain way because of our, and we're patient. We're patient with God, we're patient with, with other people because of our, oh, you're on it. So James is all about action. Remember those 
those words from chapter 2, faith without works is dead. So it's interesting, if James is all about action, that he ends his letter with a really strong emphasis about prayer. We, we just sang that the battle belongs to, to God, that God fights our battles for us. That's what happens with prayer. And James ending his letter in this way is a great reminder that prayer in itself is, in fact, an action. I think in our, in our world, prayer has become this thing where we associate it just with, with thoughts or we, we associate it with kind of releasing something into the, the universe and putting it out there and saying, hey, that's prayer. Hopefully someone hears it. But that's not what James is talking about with prayer. That's not what James is talking about with prayer. Prayer is about aligning our hearts hearts are down here, and our minds, our hearts and our minds with what God has for us. Somewhere uh, along my faith journey, a mentor painted a picture about praying that has, has stuck with me. And, and it's a picture that, that works really well for church settings like this one. So when we get together and, and, and we pray like we just did, and lifting up the needs of our, our community, uh, th- this mentor said, hey, hey, it's like we all go together to the throne of God and we pray. We all go together to say, God, will you be with this person? We all go together to say, God, thank you. We all go together to say, God, we are broken. We are sinful. We need your help. We all go together, not just lifting thoughts up into the air but approaching the Creator, the Creator of all that has ever existed, and saying, God, align my heart and my head with what You have for the world. Picking up at James chapter 5, verse 12, we read this. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I uh, read these, these last verses of James and when I first opened them up earlier this week, I couldn't help but hear a song from one of my first cassette tapes. How many of you remember cassette tapes? 
I, 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 I was eight or nine years old and I'd, I'd go into my room and I'd, I'd pull out my Walkman or, or later in life I had, I had a, a dual player cassette deck so I could copy my friends' songs. It was allowed, Ed. It was allowed then. So, so I could make my own mixtape and, and take them with it. And there was this, this, this tape that I always had. I shouldn't say always had. Um, this tape that was, I remember as being one of my first and it was, was MC Hammer. Anybody remember MC Hammer? MC, there's a couple people that remember MC Hammer. That's, that's good. MC Hammer, whose stage name was given to him because he looked like Hank Aaron. He, he looked at Hank, like Hank Aaron as, as a young boy and, and actually, this is a total aside, but it's a fun for baseball nerds out there. The A's owner saw him in the parking lot in Oakland and they said, hey, why don't you come be the ball boy? Hammer. And then he was named MC Hammer forever after that. Kind of an odd, an odd aside. But I sat in my room listening to this, this cassette tape. More often than not, playing the, the popular song, Can't Touch This. I'm not going to try to do a hammer dance for you up here. More, more often than not, playing, playing that song and rewinding it over and over again and listening over and over. But there was another song on that tape, on that album, that caught my ear as well. It repeated the line, that's why we pray. 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 JR, I, I need you to sing with me, bud. Over and over again, it repeated that line. I listened to the song for the first time in decades earlier this week and actually paid attention to the lyrics behind that repeating hook. He starts by giving thanks for how far he had come. Lines with, I tried and tried to make a way, but nothing happened till that day I prayed. Then he lists all kinds of troubles in the world before coming back to, that's why we pray. According to MC Hammer and, and James as well, there's never a bad time to pray. MC Hammer actually became a pastor, by the way. After his rap career, um, there, there's, there's never a, a bad time to pray through the good, the bad, the ugly. Prayer is always an appropriate response. The first readers of James' letter, they felt all kinds of pressure from the world around them. Their beliefs had very real consequences. They had consequences socially. They had, they had consequences politically. They had uh, uh, consequences uh, economically. Pretty much every sphere of life, they felt pressure because of what they believed. There would have been a temptation to kind of lash out against their neighbors who disagreed with them. Or against the religious or political leaders who were trying to squash their movement. To, to respond in a certain way. So James, he begins the conclusion of his letter with a reminder that our, our words matter. They can have a lasting impact. And they can provoke a response. They can have a consequence. So I've mentioned throughout this series that James really pulls from two different sources. Um, from Proverbs, we see, we see that echoed throughout his writing, but also from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and here, in verse 12, we almost see pieces of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, word for word. Jesus and James, they're both pointing to a practice that was common among the Pharisees. We actually see this when we read about Jesus' interaction with them, where they would, they would try to use certain words or, or use this, this method of arguing to, to kind of trick or confuse those who disagreed with them. So Jesus and James, they say, don't stoop to their level. Don't, don't play their games. Use simple language. 
Use direct language, yet your yes be yes and your no be no. Instead, so use simple language, don't stoop to their level. And instead, when you're attacked, when you have questions, when things just aren't going your way, pray. Pray. In First Thessalonians, Paul echoes what James writes and what Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he tells his readers to be respectful, to be patient, to hold one another accountable, and then rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing, having a continuous, ongoing conversation with God. Now, most translations of the Bible, including the NIV, which we read today, look at what James writes in, in, in verse 12 and suppose that he's asking questions following verse 12, I should say, in verse 13. So, so we, we translate it with questions. We say, are you hurting or in trouble? Pray. Are you doing well, thriving in every area of life? Pray. Give praise. Are you sick? Pray. Have you sinned? Pray. There's questions with the response, and the response is pray. But in Greek, those aren't questions. Those aren't questions. They're statements. They're expectations. So James is saying, there will always be someone among you in your church family who is sick. There will always be someone among you in your church family who is thriving. There will always be someone among you in your, your church family who's in trouble. And all of you together need to be praying for them. All of you. I got a text message uh, on Friday morning from a, a close friend who had another close friend who was in a, a horrible accident. My friend hadn't heard from his friend and he was worried. I, I told him that I would pray and that to give me an update when he heard something. And the day passed and I didn't receive an update. I didn't know if that was good or bad, but eventually found out that no news was in fact bad news. The prayer changed from one heavy prayer about the slight chance of survival to another type of prayer. Lifting up a family who lost their dad and husband. I, I, I prayed for that family all day yesterday. I prayed for that family this morning before church. I prayed for that family during our silent prayer during when we gathered together. And we'll likely pray for them again later today. If you want to pray for him, his name is Andrew. We'll pray for his family. Years from now, when that pain isn't quite so fresh, the prayers for this family might change. But that doesn't mean they stop. James reminds his readers that our prayers may change with the ebb and flow of our lives. But if we ever find ourselves asking, should we pray about this or pray about that? The answer from James is an emphatic yes. Yes. There's nothing too big, nothing, nothing too small, nothing too unimportant, nothing too insignificant to pray about. Praying at all times without ceasing means we create a habit of going back to God with everything. 
So sometimes we, we turn to God with a, a pretty good idea of what to pray. And, and other times we, we turn to God and we say, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure what we're supposed to say right now. I think I, I've shared the story of my friend's young son who was asked to pray before dinner. And the whole family gathered around. They, they closed their eyes. They looked down and it was silent. And then the son said, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Sometimes that's how it is with prayer. We go to God and we say, I got nothing. I got nothing. And we're told in Scripture that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf in those moments to give something to our nothing. And here at the end of, of James's letter in verses 14 and 15, he gives us some clear directions about prayer, whether we have a ton of words to share or whether we have nothing. First, he invites us to call on elders and leaders in the church for prayer and anointing. When we ask someone to pray for us or with us, we share burdens with other people. And we remind ourselves that we don't have to walk alone. If I were to write a a simplified job description for our elders and deacons and any church leader really here at Westminster, the first or second bullet point would be journeying with people in community. That's what prayer is. Hey, JR, how can I pray for you? Or more often than not, it's JR coming into my office and saying, Dave, how can I pray for you? Journeying with other people in community. There are a lot of ways we do live this out. Every month, our Stephen ministers have a prayer station and an anointing station over here by the meditation garden to to join you and praying over whatever need you may have. Ed and I meet every Thursday morning to pray for the direction of our church. We have a, a prayer team that circulates an email anytime a need comes up, whether that need is for someone in our church or someone outside of that church. In every one of our committee meetings, every single one of our committee meetings, every single one of our team meetings, supposed to start with prayer. Guys, we are about Journeying with one another in prayer, sharing life, celebrating, God, thank you. Commiserating, God, we need your help. It's not a formality. It's not an add-on. It's, it's what we do as a community. For James, it's one of the most important roles for leaders in the church. And he goes on to say that when we pray, we should pray in the name of the Lord. I'll never forget one of the the first confrontations I had at my previous church with a a member in the church. I had been there maybe six weeks. And after church one day, he, he approached me and he said, what's with this new type of prayer? I said, nice to meet you, sir. He said, what's with this new type of prayer? And I said, well, well, what what do you mean? And started thinking about what I had said. And he said, you never pray in Jesus' name. And I said, what what do you mean I never pray in Jesus' name? He said, you always end your prayers in your name we pray. And I said, sir, who do you think I'm talking about when I say your name? And he said, but it's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. It was a good reminder that any time we pray, whether we say your or Jesus, we pray in the Lord's name. And then James reminds us to to come together to confess our brokenness, to confess our sin. 
Now, I try to mention this every time we have a prayer of confession before communion. It's not about airing our dirty laundry. It's not about shaming one another or feeling ashamed ourselves. It's about going to God again collectively as a people and saying, we're all broken. We've screwed up. We've hurt one another. We've gotten in our own way. Sin, it's there. So we go to God together. Say, God, forgive us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, and we're invited to come together in prayer to receive those gifts. Then James shares why we pray. He uses the example of Elijah with the intent of saying, look, Elijah, we all put him on a pedestal, but he was just a guy. He was just a person like you and like me. He didn't wait until he had everything figured out before he went to God in prayer. And we shouldn't either. He writes that Elijah prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and then earnestly that it would. He prayed because he wanted God to show up. So when we come together and we pray, we, we lift up the needs of our community, we, we say thanks, we confess our sin, and then if we're sharing the Lord's Prayer with one another, we, we, we end it with, Thy will be as on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. So we, we, we put everything out on the table and say, God, but really what we're looking for here is for You to show up and for you to reveal your will in our lives. That's why we pray. We pray so God's will would be revealed in our lives. As he finishes his letter, his last two verses, he paints a picture of a community sharing truth and inviting people to come back to that truth. He says, hey church, if you know someone who's wandered away from the faith, wandered away from God, Go talk to them. Seek them out. Invite them to come back. See what happens. It's an important part of asking God to show up. We pray for our friends. We pray for our family. We even pray for our enemies. We're called to. And then we submit to God's will. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. So as a church, we strive to make prayer foundational for who we are, for what we do. And we also strive to be a community who's constantly inviting our neighbors and our friends to be a part of the journey, to remind them that we are here to pray for them, to pray with them, that they don't have to journey alone. And as Portia mentioned earlier, we'll actually be focusing on creating an inviting or hospitable culture coming this fall. Both prayer and hospitality, they, they go hand in hand with one another. It all has to do with living out our faith in a way that makes a difference beyond the walls of our church, where what we believe is clearly evident in what we do. May we be a church who loves well as we come together to pray and as we point others toward Christ. Let's pray. Holy God, remind us that you long for us to be in relationship with one another and in relationship with you. Which means you long for us to come together and, and, and to come to you with what's on our heart and what's on our mind. 
Thank you for loving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.